Please turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. John 14, 1 through 6, it is a passage that uh, usually when you hear it, you hear it at a funeral. But it wasn't written for a funeral. It's about certainly where we'll be one day when we die, but it's really also about what our lives will be like until that time. And these are Jesus' famous words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, King James, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The reading of God's Word. One of the stories I've been fascinated with since I was a little boy And I didn't understand the gospel and I didn't understand the cross, but I've always been intrigued with the the account of the thief on the cross. You know, Jesus was not crucified alone. Jesus was crucified between two convicted criminals, two thieves who were, you know, getting under the, the law of that day what would have been considered their just punishment. And so over here on the one side, you've got one of the thieves just hurling insults at Jesus, taking all his cues from the, the people on the ground. You know, if you're the son of God, then why don't you come down? And if you're the king of the Jews, etc. And he says basically that. If you're the son of God, why don't you come down? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, while Jesus is getting crucified, you know. Over here, there's someone who's hearing all this, seeing all this, looking at Jesus, watching what's going on, hearing the different words of Jesus from the cross, and he has this realization that this is the Messiah. And he believes in Jesus while he's being crucified. You know, he's got an hour and a half left of just hanging in suffocation and excruciating pain on his cross. He's being crucified like Jesus. And he looks at Jesus... And he says, and this is in Luke 23, verses 42 and 43, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at that man while he was being crucified and basically told him this, you have a place with me. You have a place with me. His literal words were, I tell you the truth, today, this day, you will be with me. In paradise. How did this guy feel? You know, he's this, this horrible form of execution, drawn out form of, of being put to death, but, but now all of a sudden he's got a sense of anticipation. You know, he's not just counting down the moments until he breathes his last breath. He has this sense of anticipation. I always thought as a child, I thought, you know, that's really bad to be crucified. But at least, and I guess I was searching spiritually, didn't hear, didn't understand the gospel until I was 19. But I was searching because I thought, you know, that's really bad. That at least he knows. And he's going to heaven. And there's no doubt about it. Jesus has said, for sure, this day. And so there was some assurance there with the thief on the cross. You have a place 
with me. Well, that's really the same thing that Jesus is telling his disciples in our text in the upper room. The the difference is, he's not just saying, you have a place with me. He he is saying something different. You're not, it's not going to happen as soon as that. You know, you're not going to, it's not going to be so soon. It's not believe so that you can go to heaven. It's this. You're going to have to keep believing. Between now and the time that you go to heaven. But I want you to know, you have a place with me. I don't know what value you assign to the certain knowledge of eternal life with God in heaven. Whether that actually speaks to your life, whether that actually informs how you feel about life, how, how you feel about the uncertainties of life as you look beyond the crisis moments of your life, just lined up right behind it in the distance is heaven and, and the fact that Jesus says, you have a place with me. Now, they're in this upper room, and I'll tell you a little bit more what's going on in the upper room in a moment, but, but the main thing that, that really drew Jesus' words to them in this text was that Jesus told them that he was going away. That he was going to leave this world, and where he was going, they could not follow him. And there was a kind of insecurity and worry that just set into the disciples. And you can understand, they've been with Jesus three years. He said, I'm going to leave and you can't follow me. And we know that Jesus had great compassion on his disciples because John 14, 1 is his answer to their insecurity. And what I'd like to do this morning is to look at two things. Isn't it great that the scriptures are written, obviously, to the original audience? You know, we see what Jesus was saying to the people in that actual room and what that meant to them. But isn't it wonderful that through the scriptures, just through God's teaching, that in a sense we can go into that upper room, even now. And Jesus can speak these words to us as well. And I'd like to deal with their insecurity and, and, and what that was and what Jesus did in dealing with their insecurity. And then I want us to look at our insecurity and how Jesus meets the need of our insecurities as well. The first is, is this idea of their insecurity. They're in that upper room. This is where Jesus uh, had the Passover meal. You know, he, he wanted to, to share the, the Passover Meal, and so they went out and got all the traditional elements. They rented this upper room with the uh, the space that was just right to do the Passover. And just right in the middle of the Passover meal, Jesus took the the bread and he took the the cup and he changed the Passover for for believers in Christ forever. He basically instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. This bread is not the not the bread you know of haste. Uh, that, that, you know, you had to get out of Egypt because God was delivering you from Pharaoh. This is my body. This is redem- this, this signifies redemption. This cup, this cup is the, the, the new covenant in my blood. And, and as often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so there's this touching moment. By the way, that's the reason we don't, believers don't do the Passover. I mean, you can do a Seder meal just to kind of get into the history and learn the Old Testament. But from now on, and they're cool, by the way, I'm not, that's not negative. From now on, though, we're going to do the new supper, the, the, the cup of the new covenant of Jesus. 
And then Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, and it's the one that I dip the bread into, and I give it the bread. And he dipped the bread, and he gave it to Judas Iscariot. And they're all wondering who it, who it is. And Judas Iscariot leaves the room, and Jesus says, what you are going to do, go ahead and do it. Because this whole mission of redemption is about to start. What you must do, do quickly. And that's the precise moment when Jesus begins to teach with the, with the ones who are left, his faithful followers, hanging on every word. I'm about to leave this world. I'm going to leave you. And where I'm going, you can't come. And so there is this, this, this heaviness. And, and, of course, Peter. Peter, have you ever noticed he's always the one to, to step up and say something? He just blurts out. Peter blurts out, if you look at John 13, just right before our text, Lord, why can't I follow you? <laughs> you know, you love Peter. I want an answer. If you say you're leaving and I can't come, why can't I come? Why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you, he says. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows in the morning, that next morning you will disown me three times. You will deny that you even know me three times. And so the disciples in this upper room just suddenly have to get their minds around the idea of separation from Jesus, whom they have been with for three years and, uh, and it, isn't it wonderful that Jesus really cares about them? You know, you say, Jesus is on the right hand of the, the Father. Jesus is on his throne. And Jesus is running the planet. Yeah. And Jesus really, really cares about his children. And that's why Jesus uttered these words. Don't let your hearts be troubled. King James says, Don't, neither let them be afraid. The Greek word for trouble here, literally, and I know I can relate to this, you know, in my own life, it means to get stirred up. Have you ever felt like your, your, your world, your heart just gets stirred up, you know, and, and you just don't have a sense of equilibrium and, you know, you're kind of grabbing for this or that and you feel insecure because your heart's stirred up. Jesus is saying, don't let your heart get stirred up. You have a place with me. I'm going to leave. You can't go, but I want you to know. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, there are people in your life right now, if you think about it, uh, there's all kind of people in our life, and, and God uses relationships in our lives, and, and different folks have different effects on us. And right now, in probably each one of your lives, there is a person or a few people that when you're with them, they literally change the way you feel about your life. And it has to do with, with the fact that that there's a confidence there. Sometimes it's because they're very wise people. And they're able to say, well, you know, you ought to do this. You go, wow, you know, they're so wise. I feel better when that person's around. I'd like some wisdom. Or maybe they're just like bold of heart. You know, they're, they're kind of confident and bold. And when other people shrink back, they step forward. You know, and, 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 are, and are willing to, to, to look at what it really is and not run away from it, not try to change it, see what it's about, and actually, you know, give counsel to what it really is. You know, or maybe it's that person that, that just has a way of meeting the challenges of life. And you've watched this over and over. Meeting the challenges of life with faith. Like, man, they just trust God. You want, you want to be around that person. 
You want to at least have them willing to answer the phone anytime you call them, right? I mean, I think that's going on in your life right now. If you think about who that person or those people are, how much more did the disciples feel that exact way, but more about Jesus Christ? They walked with him for three years. They knew that he was the promised Messiah and everything that had been promised. They knew he was the Son of God. They saw him heal the lame, you know, heal the blind. Uh, they saw him raise somebody from the dead when the storm was just, when the water was all stirred up, you know, and they were just about to drown. Jesus, by his, his voice, just calmed the storm. Can you imagine that every time Jesus would do something like that. Oh, man, look at that. Something's gone wrong. This person's going to die. No, now they're healed. This person has a demon and this child, he's throwing himself in the fire. Whoa, Jesus steps in and now they're at peace. The storm's about to kill us. Now it's calm. Lazarus is dead. Now he's alive. Can you just imagine every time that would happen, something deep in their souls would say, I am so glad I'm with him. That is one of the reasons that this is so devastating in the upper room. I'm leaving you. And you can't come. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Verse 1. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, a little parenthetical. This is not distinguishing Jesus from God as if Jesus is not God. What Jesus is saying is trust in God And trust in me as the Messiah for you to have a relationship with God. In other words, he's bringing in, in a minute when he talks about I'm the way, he's bringing in who he is to them personally for them to know God. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there. This is where I'm going, to heaven, to my Father's house. I'm going there, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And what's important here is not just the fact that Jesus is so sincere and loving toward his disciples when they are so insecure. It is also the fact that Jesus is able to come through on all these promises that he is making to them. And they know it. And suddenly in this kind of open-ended, it's all about to change and you can't come. There is the you and I will be together. And you will have a place with me. In fact, uh, he alone is able to, to come through on these promises. Look at verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Can I just ask, why would Jesus say that? I mean, you say, well, if they didn't know the way, why did Jesus say, you know the way? Well, I, I'll tell you. It's because they knew the way. He, he they, you know, believe, trust in God, trust also in me. You know the way. You've been walking with me. You understand what salvation is. You know how to come to God. You know the way. Thomas isn't thinking of it in terms of salvation and a relationship that's eternal and present every day with God. He's thinking of it in terms of directions. You know, Jesus is going off this place, and he says, you know the way. And Thomas says, I don't have that map, basically. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know exactly where you're going, like a coordinate. And, and so we don't know, we don't know the way. You gotta love Thomas. Thomas, you know, touch, you know, Thomas keeps it real. 
Jesus says these words. I am the way. See, you know the way because you know me. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear these words. No man comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I'd like to take just a moment to explain what Jesus means as he's bringing incredible comfort to the insecurity of this separation about I am the way, the truth, and the life. The, the idea of the way is, is that Jesus is basically our high priest. He is the one who has come from the Father. God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. And he is, he is going to, in this text, uh, he has already for us, to sacrifice himself to be the only mediator between sinful man and holy God. I am the mediator. I am the way. When he says he's the truth, it's, it's not so much that he's our priest, it's that he's like our prophet. That, that he, is the, he is the embodiment of the truth of God himself. In the beginning, we read in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, right? The truth. And the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh. In other words, the truth, the word became incarnate or in flesh that jesus is the truth and as our prophet he he does he, he only speaks the truth and and his words are reliable and that's why jesus in several of his parables would say stuff like this if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice you're like a man who built your house on the rock if you hear the these words of mine and you don't you're toast you know and so because i am the truth and then lastly is, I am the life. It reminds us that Jesus is not only our prophet, not only our priest in sacrificing himself for us, but he is the king. In John 1 and 2, it says that everything that was made was made through him. And there's nothing that was made that was not made through him. So he is the one who gives life. But not only that, he is the one who is able to give eternal life. To all who believe. And not only eternal life, but life with Him. The life that He originally designed for humans to have in relationship to God with their sin, uh, not as a barrier, which is what the cross does. It removes the barrier of our sin so that we can have a relationship with God. And so what we learn is, is Jesus isn't talking about coordinates here. Jesus is saying, I am the way, and the way is a person. It's not a roadmap. Uh, I am the truth. The truth is not a set of just a set of beliefs or things to do. The truth is a person. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. The life that that you want to live is not just a matter of of you know going on the internet and trying to find out what people say about a quality of life. It is it is in a person who knows how to give that life. But look, he is addressing their insecurities. By being sincere, let not your hearts be troubled. And he's addressing their insecurities by, with himself. I will be all these things to you. I will, I will prepare a place for you and I will be the way and the truth and the life. And this wasn't just theory, folks. You know how we know this? Because moments, not hours, just moments after he said this, he got up from the table and he walked out of the room. 
And they followed him to a place called the Mount of Olives because he walked out of that room to be arrested, to begin that completion of his work on earth. So when Jesus talks about on the way, the truth, and life, that was just a few moments before he triggered the whole process whereby he would demonstrate that he is the way. So he meets their insecurity with, with, with his promise. I've got a place for you. He meets it with himself. But I'd like to talk about our insecurity. You know, we're like the disciples. One of the great things about the Bible is it doesn't airbrush people. They are insecure, needy people who are met by a God of grace with truth and grace and love. And um, we have a lot of insecurities in our life. And, and as we, if we were in that upper room and if we can kind of go there, uh, Jesus helps us see how much he cares for us that he's literally saying to us through his scriptures today, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be so stirred up. Trust in God through me. Trust also in me. I've prepared a place for you, and I'm going to do everything to be that way and the truth and give you the life between now and then as well. And so I'd like to look at this from three different angles. The, The first is is that it's our insecurity that comes from our unbelief in Jesus, as believers in Jesus. And secondly, I'd like for us to look at the insecurity that we feel living in a fallen world hostile to the message of the gospel and how we shy away in our insecurity from stating the truth about Jesus to our world. And then lastly, I'd like to look at the the fact that That if we really believed Jesus was the truth and the way and the life, that we would actually be able to say these truths to our world in a way that didn't cut off discussion, but invited discussion because of our our rock-solid belief that he really is the truth. The first thing is this idea of our insecurity that comes through unbelief. Now, when Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, when he said, let not your hearts be troubled, but trust in God, believe in God. By the way, believe means trust. Trust also in me. Were they at that point believers or unbelievers? That's right. They were believers. So Jesus wasn't saying, hey, I know your heart stirred up. You need to get saved. That wasn't what he was saying. What he's saying is, is that you still have to trust me. And I'm about to go away and you're really going to have to trust me. But I want you to know that behind all of that trust and all of those challenges is, going, is, is and you can just see it in the distance, the rock-solid assurance that I have a place for you. We tend uh, to get really wrapped up in our world, in, in our lives, with putting our trust in lots of different things. All of us do this. I mean, the simple fact about human beings is every day when you wake up, you're going to trust in something or somebody. I mean, we fashion ourselves as being so, you know, we're modern, we're smart, we're sophisticated, we're creative, we're original. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're insecure people, all of us. We're sinful people who will simply cling and trust to something in our lives. I mean, that's just, that's the way it is. I don't know what you're clinging and trusting to, 
But the trick is for that person you're trusting in to be Jesus. And, and, and so we, it, it's the idea of, of trusting and uh, continuing to believe in Jesus. Now, I'd like uh, to hold something up. I'm kind of into props these days. Uh, tell me what this is. What? A GPS. Thank you. And what's that stand for? There are millions of people listening on the Internet right now, and we need to make sure they know. That was a joke, by the way. There are people listening on the Internet. Um, we need to, we, not millions. We need, to, we need to know, we need to, for our people on the Internet in uh, third world countries to know what this is. That's called a what? Global Positioning System. Thank you very much. And what does that do? What does this do? It shows you the way to where you're going. Right. Now, I'm going to tell you, I love this one. This one's a Magellan, and I call, it's a female voice, um, and so I call her Madge. And, uh, and Madge and I have a great relationship. Uh, this, the, the Harry and Simpkins told me they called theirs Irene after the first service. But, uh, you know, it used to be that you get a map out, and you look at a map, and, and then you're driving down the road, and you're trying to drive and look at a map, you'd have to stop. And sometimes I would just take the wrong turn. Not with Madge. Madge says this, in one mile, take a left on Highland Colony Parkway. And then Madge says, in a half mile, take a left on Highland... Harry told me they want to say, shut up, Irene, by the time they make their turn. But I'm real thankful for Madge. And uh, when you get to your your destination, you know what Madge says? Some of y'all probably have one like this. Madge joyfully pronounces... You have arrived. It's awesome. Well, let me tell you something about Jesus Christ and what he is teaching in this passage. Jesus is more than a GPS. Jesus isn't just giving directions for heaven, and he's not even giving turn-by-turn directions for what you have to do here or there or the other to get to heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the way. And if you have a relationship with me, I will walk in you. I will be in you. In fact, remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission what his words were? His words were this. And lo, or surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he is with me when I am close to him. And he is with me when I am not. And he is moving in to bless in both opportunities and and he is grabbing me when I'm not to bring me back over to to the way that I ought to be walking in and you as well and he still loves me even though there are times that that we are all over the highway there are better times and there are harder times in our walk with God and when we get to heaven he will not simply say you have arrived he will say in Matthew 25 these are his words come in You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, the place for you prepared since the creation of the world. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so, in our own insecurity, we have to keep believing. And the way we keep believing is we walk with Jesus every day. And the good news is he is God and he walks with us as well. And we're going to get there. And behind all those challenges and behind all those misadventures is heaven. And I don't know how you feel about the impact of knowing you're going to heaven 
on your life right now, but it sure made a lot of difference to those disciples in the upper room. So first is our insecurities by not believing. Secondly is our insecurity in fearing men more than we fear God in our belief in the gospel. You know, we hear some form of of this. Let me put Madge up. We We hear some form of this all the time in our culture. As long as you believe in God and you're a good person, it doesn't matter what religion you are, right? We hear stuff like this. There are different paths, but they all lead to God. And and who am I to say that the Muslim path doesn't lead to God? And who am I to say that the Hindu path doesn't lead to God and the Buddhist path doesn't lead to God? I mean, I don't live in India. This is pretty much the civilized thing to say in our culture. And it's extremely uncivilized to claim an exclusivity religiously, which is exactly what Jesus said. Let me tell you what Jesus says about those statements. They are wrong. And they make a mockery of the meaning of the cross. And that, that it, we, we see this where Jesus says, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. And he repeat, pulled it all together in a repetition. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that is really, really hard. Uh, in a recent Barna research poll, and I've shared this with some of you, this is just a matter of months. For the first time in the history of, of the evangelical church, at least measured history, for the first time, y'all ready for this? Over 50%, guys, that means a majority. Over 50% of people in evangelical churches no longer believe that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the sole pathway to heaven. I'm talking about in the Bible-believing church. A majority no longer believe that. And, um, you know, I think there's an insecurity about how we believe in the gospel and if we believe our willingness to share the gospel with people. And I know that there's an insecurity about the way we are as people and we need to keep trusting in Jesus. But I know there's an insecurity about this or over half the people in church would not deny the cross of Jesus Christ. Somebody is not telling them. And I don't mean just out on the street they're not telling them. I'm talking about in church we're not telling them. We're singing, we are the world more than he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. And so there's an insecurity there that we need to trust, believe. Trust in that truth and in him. But thirdly is our insecurity in not acting in the real life like our truth is true. It's almost like we feel like we have to add force to our truth. We have to add rhetorical tricks to the way we share the truth about Jesus. And when we're adding force and we're adding rhetorical tricks, 
what that reveals sometimes is that we don't just trust the story of the gospel. For instance, what do you think, and we talked about this in my Wednesday night class, what do you think about that pastor down in Gainesville, Florida, that wanted to have international burn the Koran day? Some people say, yeah, it's high time we start burning those Korans. Quran is how they actually say it. I think it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's stupid on lots of levels. But let me tell you, when it comes to Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's stupid on this level that if we really believe that what, what we believe and who we know is actually true, then we would never intentionally cut off discussion with people. You see, if we believe that Jesus is actually the Messiah, that, that the gospel is actually true, we'd want to pull that Quran and that Bible out to have a side-by-side comparison. Let's talk about what grace is. Let's talk about what works is. Let's talk about what you might enjoy better. I enjoy grace a whole lot better, by the way. And you know, when you just, when you just kind of get forceful, when you just kind of say, we're just going to burn their books. Or when you, when you tell people to basically shut up while you're talking. Folks, it is time to open our eyes to the reality of our culture in relation to the church. If over half the church no longer believes in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, this is a huge issue. And not only is that an issue, but we live in a global world now where everybody is connected literally to everybody who's connected in the entire world. I'm not saying you're connected, you are connected with everybody, but you, you have the possibility of connection. And so what are the messages that are being received? And, and you know what? We have these notions deep in our hearts here in the South. We have these notions that, oh yeah, the rest of the world might be changing and the rest of the world might be giving up on the exclusivity of the gospel and therefore full forgiveness for sins and new life. But not us. You are fooling yourself. That is regional allotry. We still got our barbecues. And our football and our hunting, hunting. <laughs> but let me tell you something. It is crashing and burning and crumbling to the ground behind the scenes. And a generation of younger people. By the way, younger people in our church are unbelievable. Y'all have, y'all have so many more challenges than I ever had to walk with the Lord. We're proud. Of you. There's a whole generation of young people in the, down here in the South that no longer believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. I quote, quote to you from one of the, uh, the scholars. He says, quote, we live in a marketplace now of religious options. So we used to say, well, down here, there ain't many people who aren't like us. We're all Baptists. And I love my Baptist brothers. He says, and so many people take a mix and match approach to religion. 
I told some of you, I think it was in a teaching opportunity one time, about the salesman here in town who uh, basically, you know, great guy, nice guy. He was wanted to sell me a product. So, you know, it's all about relationships. So we were developing, or he was developing a relationship with me. I appreciate that. And, uh, and basically what he told me was is if I were to buy his product from him as opposed to, say, somebody else, that he would take good care of me. Customer service. This is good, right? This is good. This is like unto the Lord. And then he slipped in this sentence. He goes, you know, because I believe in karma. And he, he's, you know, he's a Mississippian. I said, whoa, 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 time out. Did you just say you believed in karma? He goes, yeah, I believe in karma. I said, well, let's just forget the product for a minute. I'm real interested in karma. Help me understand what you mean by you believe in karma and what that has to do with this product. I am fascinated. So he starts talking about what goes around, comes around. I said, what religion are you? And he said, Baptist. <laughs> like most people, you know. And, uh, and I said, I basically said, well, you know, just listen very politely to him, ask follow-up questions. And when he finished, I said, well, you know what? I've been to India and I've been with the Hindus. Would you, would you like for me to explain to you what they mean by karma? I said, what that is is a one-to-one correspondence with your sin and you just get eaten up pound per pound. No grace. You get blessing one-to-one, you get cursed one-to-one and, and there's no intervention. And, in, you know, I said, you know, the Bible in Psalm 103 says he does not treat us as our sins deserve. You like, you want that or do you want no grace? He's like, I no longer believe in karma. <laughs> okay. But you know, wasn't it great to just be able to say, whoa, 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 let's, let's tell me about that. And he talked for 15 minutes without me interrupting him on what karma was. You know, you're talking to somebody, don't say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Tell me about that. Could I bring classic Christianity the truth of the Bible, into this discussion? Sure. The time for talking at people before we listen to people is over. Out in your, out in your world. Because it assumes that they already know a whole, whole lot about the true nature of God and man and Christ. And that is evaporating like water on a Mississippi summer day. Even in the church. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we must trust in the truth. Now today, you and I both struggle with insecurities. I do. I even know what mine are. I think there's some I'm not even sure I fully know what they are. But we struggle with insecurity. Some, some of it is about the direction of our lives for some of you. Some of it would be along the line of what you might call the quality of your life. That's just a big, you know, a big heading. And then some of you might be struggling just with the notion of living for Christ in a world and loving Him in a world that doesn't love Him. But isn't it good news that we can bring our actual hearts to Jesus? And He can say to us, don't let your hearts be stirred up. Trust in God through me. Isn't it great that in this world where the sands are shifting, Jesus says to us, look, I'm going to be with you. I am the way. I'll be the truth. I am the life. I want to tell you something. There's a place for you with me. 
Isn't that wonderful? So let us trust in Him rather than other things and other people so that we might believe and share about Him with people who desperately need to know about Him. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that You would, even now, turn our hearts to You. We make our faith so much more complicated than we need to. Lord, You look at us and we are, we're a mess. And we're all over the highway sometimes. Every person in here is wrestling with different things in their lives. Thank you, God, that for those who have put their trust in you, that you're there. And if you've never put your trust in Christ and what he's done on the cross and you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I I see it. I, I can't make myself acceptable to you. I just never knew why Jesus died. And I want to turn away from everything else and put my trust in you, Jesus, Thank you that even now you have taken away the, the, the problem of my sin before you. You've forgiven me. Lord, I pray that you would just keep my heart soft toward you. And Lord, for those of us who've walked with you, there are people here today that are filled with unbelief and, and so many unnecessary complications in their lives. Lord, would you bring us back to simply walking with you and believing in you? And Father, not just for ourselves but for our world, for your church, that you, Christ, would be manifested in and through us, even us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.